Hello everyone, this is the 10 Minute Money Podcast. I am John Dyer and this week I am joined by Ryan Plantrich. Ryan is an estate planning attorney with the Morello Group and he focuses on estate planning. And today we're going to look at, uh, chat with Ryan and talk about some ways you can make your estate plan bulletproof. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. well I appreciate you very much for having me over. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, about this topic. Uh, we come across this all the time with, with clients that come in and have estate planning questions. And uh, I always say, uh, I'm going to refer you to the professional. So uh, you're you're the guy that we uh, we go to and uh, when we have all these estate planning needs. So, uh, so what is an estate plan? <laughs> that is a good question. It's whatever you want it to be. It's making sure that your wishes are carried out and that you and your family are, are protected. Uh, so obviously an estate plan can go in many different directions. Uh, if you're interested, it really requires a, a meeting with a professional, an attorney to kind of discuss what's best for your particular facts and situations. But what I wanted to do today is just give a, an overview of what a basic estate plan includes uh, so that you're just aware of the basic con- uh, <clears throat> basic concepts and the basic documents so that when you go to prepare your own plan, you have a little bit of working knowledge going into it. Uh, so first of all, when people talk about an estate plan, <clears throat> we typically see this include four major documents. Uh, the first, uh, the main documents that people think of in connection with an estate plan are going to be their last will and testament, which it will absolutely include. Uh, and in the vast majority of cases, uh, it will include also a revocable living trust for you and your family. And those two documents work together. Uh, among other things, to pass your assets to your beneficiaries upon your death. But there's also other important documents, uh, namely there's documents that help you out during your life, and those will be a power of attorney document where you can appoint somebody to assist you with your financial affairs, as well as a patient advocate designation, which allows you to appoint somebody to assist with your medical decisions in the event that you're unable to do so yourself. Okay, um, so uh, what about what about a trust? When should people consider a trust? Because I get this all the time. People come in and they they think they need a trust, and they may not need a trust, um, or um, or they may not think they need a trust, and they need a trust. So when when should they cover, or when should they consider a trust, and what does a what does a trust cover? Okay, and a lot of times we get clients too that may have just a will. Uh, and think that they're covered with that, which may be the case, and it will take a discussion with your estate planning attorney to figure out what's best for you. But the vast majority of people will benefit from having a trust in place. Uh, I know the perception sometimes is that a trust is for older families with very large amount of assets and everything, and that's the only time it's applicable. But that's not really the case. Uh, At its most basic form, A trust allows you to structure your distributions to your beneficiaries exactly how you want, uh, and it avoids the costs and delays and hassle with any kind of probate court administration. Um, You know, with a will, you can identify your beneficiaries, 
how much they get, and who gives it to them, your personal representative or executor. But still, uh, a will is nothing more than a one-and-done distribution as soon as practical, and it has to go through the probate courts in order to effectuate it. And that, of course, causes filings, attorney's fees, delays, court supervision, and it brings all your assets into the public record, and a lot of people would prefer to stay private. A will, at least what it does for everybody, is it avoids probates. Um, so it, it allows you to not have to deal with probate court and a lot of times attorneys and everything. I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job, but it's a benefit that people <laughs> see. But it's also really the only way that you can delay a distribution past a, a one-and-done as soon as practical distribution. So say you got... Younger kids, college-age kids, you don't want them to receive their entire inheritance at once. You can structure it so that's spread out over a number of years. You can structure it so that it's contingent on certain events. Either they get a bachelor's degree or start a business. It gives you the flexibility to structure your distributions the way that you want, just that just aren't available in a will, and it allows you to do it in a, an easier way than having to go through the probate court and everything that a will would entail. Okay, so so a, a will will just identify who you, you can pass your assets to. A trust it will really give stipulations around that, right? So it'll tell it'll give dates and times and things you can add add to uh to to really make it make it what you want. Uh exactly. Exactly what you want to do you can put into that trust document and it's likely that that trust document will be necessary for you to be able to make sure that those happen. Uh, again, a will is restricted in what it can do. And, and that's just some of the more generally applicable reasons. There are a large number of reasons where it's vitally important to have a trust and they're fact dependent and we're not going to be able to go through all of them. But there's instances if for any reason you would have a taxable estate, there's advanced tax planning uh, techniques that can be done with trusts. Uh, if you have special needs or disabled beneficiaries, there's special trusts where you can leave assets for them so that it won't disqualify them for any needs-based government benefits, but that it would be a pot of money that a trustee would be able to hold and use for such beneficiary to supplement their quality of life but not surplant the government benefits that they're receiving. And the reasons, um, you know, whether it's Medicaid planning, incapacity planning, uh, there's a lot of specific reasons where a trust can be vitally important for you if those apply. Yeah, if you have a, a special needs child, I, you definitely should talk to an estate planning attorney about about uh, about it. But so. it's heartbreaking. We'll see cases where parents think that they need to disinherit these particular individuals because they don't want to, you know, interfere with their government benefits. And, you know, sometimes they think a sibling will look after them and it may not happen. But you can really put all that in a trust for their benefit to make sure that those vulnerable individuals are protected and provided for. So what about uh, what about titling your assets, like your real estate and assets? Uh, so we get this a lot too, where um, we we have people that come in and they have uh, uh, we'll help them with their four hundred one ks, and then realize that the beneficiary on their four hundred one k is maybe their uh, mother and father because when they started working, they were living at home, and now now they're married. So, um, so 
you know, one thing I tell people, just take a look at the beneficiaries on all of your accounts, even your accounts at the bank, and make sure they're the way uh, you want them. You, you want the the correct beneficiary on there. So what do you what do you have to say about that? That and real estate. What about your house? How how should people um, think about that with estate planning? Well, absolutely. And this kind of area we refer to as trust funding, and it's vitally important because you can look at an estate plan as a vehicle, and it can be you know the best vehicle constructed and engineered and everything, but it doesn't work unless you put the gas in it. So that's kind of what this trust funding is all about, making sure that your assets are incorporated into your estate planning so that everything works as it should. And this is a focus of our firm in particular, and I do think that we try to go above and beyond with our correspondence, our instruction, and our follow-up to make sure that you know things are incorporated into your estate plan after it's developed. But basically... Um, you want to make sure that things get into your estate planning documents. The first thing that happens when you pass away is your assets will go pursuant to any beneficiary designations that you've identified on those. Uh, So beneficiary designations happen outside a probate court, outside of a will, outside of a trust. Uh, But you can also put assets directly into your trust during your life. And a lot of people like putting assets into their trust via a beneficiary designation uh, because it allows them to get funded into the trust immediately upon their death, at which point the provisions in the trust kick in and allow a trustee to take control over those assets outside of probate court and distribute them according to your wishes in your trust document. But there's a lot of, so that's general financial assets, but there's also unique assets that require special attention. Uh, One of those in particular is real estate. Uh, A lot of times we'll see people that get brought into probate court solely because they had a piece of real estate in their name when they passed away. And if that's the case, you would need to go to probate court. You would need to open up an estate. You would need to have the court provide letters of authority so that your administrator would be able to convey, sell, transfer, gift that, that piece of real estate. Uh, What we recommend uh, for seamless transition of real estate is a special type of deed. Uh, It's an enhanced life estate deed is a technical term for it, but you may have heard for it uh, in its common name called a a ladybird deed. And basically there's a lot that goes into it, but effectively it's just a beneficiary designation for a piece of real property. So it allows you to continue holding real estate in your name alone during your life, uh, full power to sell gifts, transfer everything that you could do normally. Won't interfere with uh, mortgage loans. Uh, it also keeps it in your name, so it's a non-countable asset if you ever needed Medicaid or benefits in the future. But it provides a provision at the end that if you pass away, your house goes into your trust immediately at that time, at which point your trustee, now that it's in your trust, has power to do whatever they need uh, quickly, efficiently, and outside of probate court. Uh, so that's real estate. Uh, you know, a lot of our clients will have small business assets. You know, we'll make sure that there's provisions in law that allow you to put pretty much a beneficiary designation on a stock certificate or a membership certificate. Because uh, especially if you're running a small business, uh, a couple month delay getting somebody in probate court to be able to transfer your small business could be uh, you, you could 
with <laughs> with uh, uh, without a month or two of attention to your small business, you can lose uh, customers and contracts pretty easily. So making sure that there's a quick transition is vitally important for those assets. Uh, and then there's IRA assets as well, which are require special attention because it's one of the few things that are going to be taxable as income to your benefit beneficiaries upon your passing. So IRA assets, it's really important to consult with both your financial advisor and your estate planning attorney. And it's more vitally important now that the laws have just recently changed. Uh, it's January 2020 right now, but as of December 2019, uh, the president just signed into law the SECURE Act, Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. And it, it kind of changed the script as far as a lot of professional planning goes for retirement assets. Uh, it used to be that when you pass your retirement assets to a beneficiary, that that beneficiary would be able to stretch out payments of those plans uh, over their life expectancy or over the life expectancy of the oldest member of a group. Uh, that's been changed in a, a very big way in that now all inherited IRA benefits there's no annual RMDs, but you need to take a full distribution of those plans within 10 years. Uh, so it, it's important if you will be receiving one of these IRA assets, uh, anything that you received prior to 2020 is grandfathered <laughs> under the, the old rules, but anything that happens uh, in this year going forward will be subject to that 10-year rule. Uh, and it may impact uh, the way that you incorporate those into your estate planning documents, or it may make it more important to have a knowledgeable trustee that knows if and when to draw down those assets during the 10-year period to make sure that your beneficiaries get the biggest bang for their buck as far as those assets go. Right, yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good point um, with 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 that because, yeah, in the past you could just maybe take one or two thousand dollars a beneficiary could take one or two thousand dollars every year and um and and there was really a kind of a minimal taxable consequence but um now you you have to you know divide it by 10 or maybe if you don't take it the first we we see a lot where um kids will inherit and um you know they'll kind of wait uh to to do things and now you know you wait a couple of years, and uh, now you've only got maybe five years to to take that distribution. You have to take the whole thing, and if you're working and you also have to take a distribution from an IRA you got from your parent, it could really uh, you could really uh, get hit with some some uh, pretty good taxes. So um, so that's something where you definitely want to work with with a. Uh, fiduciary financial advisor um, or, or and and kind of get a game plan for that uh, another thing that uh, we uh, that I see a lot um, is on a 529 plan uh, so these are education accounts so like uh, for instance here in Michigan we have the MESP the Michigan uh, education savings plan which is a 529 plan which um, you put money into and then you can use that money for qualified education expenses tax-free um, 
I see a, a lot of people that'll set these up because they're really easy to set up on your own. And so the the beneficiary is a child on the account. Um, and so the account owner is the parent. And then you use you use the funds for, for the child. And you can change beneficiaries, which is nice because if maybe one child doesn't go to college or... Uh, maybe gets a scholarship. You can you you can change a beneficiary to a another child, or even uh, someone in the family, or even use them for yourself for qualified uh, expenses. But uh, where where we run into problems with these is if you uh, if you're if you don't have a successor on the plan and the account owner passes away, leaving it to a minor, right, Ryan? Yeah, and we see issues with these, and it's mostly just a terminology plan or issue that sometimes these plans use because they use the word a lot of times beneficiary to identify the person who may receive these for educational expenses without tax consequence. But they're not really a beneficiary in the sense of when you pass away they receive these assets outright. So it's important that you understand what your plan is. They use different terminologies uh, because you may identify your child as a beneficiary, which is fine. You can use the money to pay for that beneficiary's educational expenses. But they may not get it uh, upon your passing. Some of these plans have what's called a successor or an alternate owner, that would be the person that would get ownership of this asset. So just to make sure that you're avoiding probate court, you don't want to have one of these 529 plans stuck in your estate and then have to go through probate court to get somebody else to take control of it to give it to your quote-unquote beneficiary. It's just uses different terminology, and some people may not catch on to this. So make sure that not only do you have the beneficiary identified, the child who can receive these assets for educational expenses. But in terms of passing it, if you're the owner of that plan as a parent, make sure you have a number of successor alternate owners so that when you pass away, that doesn't it's not the one thing that brings you in the probate court. And the other thing, too, I'll just say this. Uh, I work with a lot of uh, 401ks, and I see single moms that uh, have named their beneficiaries as their children that are under the age of 18. Um, I would suggest not doing that. Um, and Ryan, what's your, what's your, uh, suggestion with, with, you know, you're a single mom, you have a a child that, you know, who, who should they name as beneficiary or how should they do that? And that's an excellent example. And that's a case where it's really very important to have a trust in place. Uh, If you name your minor child as a direct beneficiary of financial assets, it's their assets, but they're a minor, so they may not be able to do anything that they need with it. And there's not another individual like uh, that would be able to take control over those assets. So what would happen in that case is it would go to your child, but somebody would have to then petition the probate court to be what's called a conservator of that child, the adult that manages that child's money. And uh, it's in some cases, it's fairly straightforward, but it's still an expense and, and delay in going through a probate court to get a conservator appointed. And there's ongoing court supervision. Every year, you need to file an accounting uh, for what happens with every cent of those assets, which gets expensive to prepare. <clears throat> Usually a hearing to approve that accounting, which requires an attorney and gets expensive as well. 
And it's just uh, you know ongoing supervision. Uh, a lot of times a court will require that the conservator get bonded or an insurance policy to make sure that he doesn't abscond with the funds. So that's another annual bond premium that you'd be paying out of those assets on a year-to-year basis. Um, so to avoid all that, the parent can simply name a trust or, well, it would go into the trust and the trust would identify the minor child as a beneficiary and the trust would also identify the trustee who has full power to manage those assets on behalf of the minor beneficiary and that trustee would have to follow the direction that you put in your trust document you know use for my kid's benefit use for his health education maintenance and then give them a third at 25, another third at 30, another third at 35, whatever it happens to be. But your trustee would be able to follow your direction, make sure those assets are used for your child's benefit, but in an efficient way that avoids the cost and delay of probate court. All right, thanks. So a couple other things I wanted to touch on were uh, some other non-inheritance benefits. Uh, when to have a durable power of attorney, healthcare directives, um, and then Medicaid and long-term planning. So, uh, what about what about healthcare director? Does uh, when when should people consider consider that, or how should they go about that? Right, and a lot of what we've been talking about up until this point <clears throat> is pretty much you know what happens upon your passing, which is a big part of your estate plan. But there's also a lot of non-inheritance or at-life benefits. Uh, John was talking about the the patient advocate designation, which is a really important document to have in place in case for any reason you can't make your own medical decision. Through this document, you'll be able to appoint somebody who would be able to make that decision on your behalf. So these are for these are for people. So this is for uh, when you're living. This is this is uh, if you become incapacitated, right? If you're if you're living and you're not able to make your own uh, decisions, this will appoint uh, uh, kind of give direction, right? Absolutely. The way you want it. So it memorializes uh, this, your wishes, who you want to make them, and not necessarily during incapacity, but you know if there is an accident, you're unconscious, or for any reason you can't at that point make your decision. You appoint who you want to do it, you give them guidance, and most, well, not most importantly, but vitally importantly, is that you also identify who can access your medical information if they need to through a HIPAA release and authorization. Okay, so so that makes sense. And then in addition to the, the medical document, there's also a durable power of attorney document, which during your life you can appoint somebody that can help you with your financial affairs. Uh, you know, pay bills, access financial information from your bank. And this document is really important throughout your life, and its applicability changes throughout. So we see a lot of people with maybe college-age kids, so they want to have their child prepare a durable power of attorney for the parent so that the parent can help the child with financial management while they're in college. Uh, A lot of times married couples like to appoint each other for convenience, Uh, Any one of the couple can sign for each other to get financial transactions done. But it becomes very, very important later in life, uh, especially if you're a widow or a widower, to appoint somebody, a child, a friend, a trusted family member, to assist with your finances. uh, If ever, you know, you are incapacitated, have reduced capacity, 
or just need a decision to be made and you can't do it, that document really helps. Yeah, so, and I wanted to touch on the durable power of attorney too because a lot of times uh, married couples, one or the other will have an IRA and they may call their advisor to transact on the IRA. An IRA is an individual retirement account. That is for one one person. So say the husband has the IRA and and uh, gets into an accident or something and the wife needs some money. Their only assets are in the IRA. The wife calls the financial advisor to get money uh, that they need to maybe pay some medical bills. She cannot uh, she cannot uh, uh, get get money from the IRA because they don't have a durable power of attorney. So uh, I think that's pretty important. Absolutely. And then if for any reason, if there is long-term care, end-of-life care, Medicaid planning, things of that nature, uh, a durable power of attorney really helps to allow a family member to assist in that process. And it needs to have specific provisions contained in it to allow the family to do some more aggressive Medicaid and gifting type planning, uh, which our documents include as well, just to, to make sure that you're covered at all bases. So uh, last piece uh, I thought you could help us with, just some other practical advice that you think people should do, uh, even if they don't have an estate plan in place, uh, what, what can they do now to get, kind of, uh, get, get everything in, in order for themselves? Absolutely. So, you know, organize all all your documents, uh, your finances, uh, talk with your financial advisor or other professionals about your beneficiary designations uh, to make sure that they're correct, they're updated. If you got married, had children, uh, especially with this change in the IRA laws, uh, talk with your financial professional, your financial advisor to make sure that everything that you have in your documents is still correct. Otherwise, you know, make your wishes known, have these discussions with your family. Uh, The more that they're in in the loop, uh, the more helpful they'll be able to be uh, as far as these documents go. So, and uh, talk to an estate planning professional if any of this seems to be of value to you. Uh, If you don't have documents in place or uh, it's been a while since you've had documents in place, uh, talk to an experienced estate planner. Uh, they'll be able to let you know uh, what you need, and they'll be able to take a look at your old documents and let you know if there's any improvements there. Um, and these, this is just a high-level overview, of course, uh, in order to give you tailored advice. Uh, of course, this podcast generally is not legal advice to you, but I do recommend that uh, if any of this sounds applicable, that you sit down you have a conversation with a state planning attorney. Uh, we don't charge for initial consultations. A lot of others don't as well. So it could be very helpful to talk about your particular facts and circumstances and get a recommendation on what you should do going forward to make sure that your family is protected and that everything goes according to your wishes upon your passing. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, that was great advice. So, uh, again, if, if you have any questions with an estate plan, uh, look Ryan up. He's with the Morello Group here in Michigan, uh, Ryan Plantrich, uh, and, uh, or, or just uh, f- find a local estate planning attorney that can, that can help you and at least point you in the, in the right direction. So uh, I appreciate everyone listening, and and keep in mind everything we talked about today was for educational purposes only, and 
we will talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for having me, John. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. John and Paul are financial advisors with Royal Oak Financial Advisors in Michigan, a fee-only RIA who specialize in helping their clients better understand their investments. If you watch the pennies, the dollars will come.